Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. I'm your host, Soyini Koch. Many of you have certainly been aware of the many changes that are taking place in the healthcare industry. One of the most important is the shift to paying for value versus paying for volume. For those of you who are not familiar with that term, what it means is that people who are providing healthcare are going to be paid for the quality of the outcomes for their patients versus simply being paid for the number of patients that they see. And it's a huge and very sweeping change that's happening in healthcare. And on today's show, we have guests from AG Rhodes Health and Rehab who are experiencing and adapting to this change, specifically in the long-term care industry. So welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. So we have Al Blackwelder and Deke Cato, the CEO and COO of AG Rhodes. Start off, gentlemen, by telling us about what value-based payments actually means for you in your business, for listeners who may be um, unfamiliar with that term because they're not in healthcare. Hospitals drive our admissions to um, skilled nursing and subacute rehab. And in order. So I'm going to pause, like, for people who don't know what that means, tell us what subacute yeah. rehab means. After a hospitalization, there are a number of places to go for after discharge from a hospital. Uh, one is home, that's the ideal. Uh, two is if you're not ready to go home, uh, or you don't have the the um, the availability of what you need in order to recover at home, then you can go to some other places. And they can be from very, very acute places like other hospitals that will keep you for a longer period of time. Um, all the way to um, uh, subacute rehab, which is not acute hospital, it's below a hospital, but it's rehabilitation that can be fairly intensive but it's all geared to getting you ready to go home again. And uh, so subacute rehab is one uh, place where our admissions are driven from hospitals. Hospitals are very interested in uh, getting their patients discharged quicker and consequently sicker. Uh, You don't stay in a hospital and just get well. Uh, Hospital does its acute business and then they discharge to a facility that can continue the recovery. Um, So the hospitals are very much interested in quick discharges and also very recently, uh, hospital payments to the hospitals are contingent on how that patient has done after they leave the hospital. So suddenly hospitals um, are very interested in what their patients are and how their patients are doing after their discharge. That has not always been the case. In fact, it has for decades and decades and decades. They left the hospital and the hospital washed their hands of yeah, that. Yeah, thank patient. you. Pay your bill. Bye bye. Bye bye. Uh, not anymore. The uh, hospital actually is paid on how well they do after discharge. They being the patient. They being the patient. So uh, hospitals have become very interested in, um, in our results and how we take care of patients. And, because um, now it affects. And it affects their payment stream. Right. And that um, um, 
causes several things to happen. One, not just an interest in what we're doing, but a, a need to, on their part, on the hospital's part, to follow our quality indicators. Uh, they want to know quantitatively how we are doing. Uh, what are our results with their patients? And this is different for us. We have not always been um, focused like that. We are now. And, and so we, have, um, we follow our own metrics of things like um, do, how often do we readmit to a hospital? Because a readmission to a hospital is a direct ding to a hospital now. It didn't used to be before. It's just another admission. Touchdown. Not anymore. Now that readmission to a hospital cuts into their payment, um, into the hospital's payment. So we're, we monitor um, how many uh, readmissions we have. We monitor um, infection rates. Um, we monitor um, things that are going to slow uh, discharge down, uh, urinary tract infections, uh, ulcers, um, skin ulcers. Uh, the, um, and also the ability of the um, resident to uh, function without psychotropic medications. And these are all things that can impact the, um, the, not only the quality with respect to how long they're in the hospital, but their quality of life afterwards and how well they recover. So now it is, um, hospitals are very interested in this. And Deke, how has, have these new metrics changed the way that you operate to the extent that they do? Well, Agios has operated, firstly, in the Atlanta um, area market for a very long time. We are one of Atlanta's oldest nonprofits. We've been around actually since 1904. As skilled nursing facilities are what most people know as nursing homes. Um, the, the, our two main lines of business, which is, is typical of most nursing homes, is, as Al described, subacute care. But then we have a much um, larger area of our um, business, which is long-term care, um, long-term or custodial care. Um, we uh, have seen definite trends towards um, value-based purchasing where the subacute side line of our business, which is also um, the line of our business, which is it's a lucrative line of our business, um, has taking full prominence. It's caused us to partner much more closely with the Atlanta area hospitals. Um, so our CARB campus, which is the best example, I think of that um, just about, I think, three or four years ago, um, started a, a, a key partnership at Wellstar Hospital, um, where we are actually serviced by Wellstar physicians. Um, and the exact quest is exactly, like you said, quality um, over simply services over simply um, over simple metrics. So these physicians follow our residents of seniors very closely. Um, and um, a lot of this is reported back to Wellstar Hospital and the resident, the senior, is tracked throughout the long-term care continuum. So back up and, and philosophically, do you think that this is making people healthier? Do you think it's actually working? So is it, from your standpoint, is it actually improving people's health? Um, and is it actually bringing costs down, which were, are the two, I, I think, philosophical principles on which value-based payments it, it was based and brought into the market? Well, 
Go ahead, First, Dave. I'll say I think um, the, the idea of value-based um, services are still in its early phases. So I think there's there's arguments both ways as to whether it is actually taking costs down. Um, we at AG Roads have taken the mantra for a few years now that we want to be in the business of helping people to live well. Um, and we have found that um, the, the clinical um, side, the medical side, which the hospitals most often promote, um, in our opinion, does not necessarily equate with living well. Um, so we have been moving towards a less medical model of care um, in taking care of our residents. Al? Well, that's exactly right. Um, we actually come from a long history of medical care. Uh, AG Roads is built on a model much like a hospital. Um, and that's the way it was for 120 years of, of caring for people that uh, can't take care of themselves. You treated them in a hospital-like model. And that's skilled nursing that we all know, nursing homes. Long corridors, rooms off that, nursing home um, or nursing desks, uniforms, it's skilled nursing. That is not the best way to take care of our um, largely elders. Um, it's not as respectful. It is more about taking care of the efficiency of the organization. It is efficient to line patients up. Everyone gets up at a certain hour. Everyone has the same uh, meal mm -hmm. at the same time. Medications are delivered one after another by a cart that rolls down the hallway. That's kind of depressing. It's terribly depressing, and it's not respectful. It is, um, it's, it's, it's not how any of us would want to spend time recovering. So we are approaching this from a different point of view. Uh, in Europe, for instance, uh, our industry, in some pockets in Europe, developed not from the medical part of, of um, when they were looking at how do we take care of our elders, uh, we turn to the hospital industry, they turn to the housing industry. And so their, um, their nursing homes are residential. They're more house-like. Yeah, and we had um, some guests on um, the Isaacsons. Yes, perfect that are, example. That are starting to create the household model. Um, exactly. And the Isaacsons are doing exactly that. And, and they, are, they, are, they are masters at doing this. And they're coming at it from the housing point of view. These are people who live independently in their homes. They decide, you know, as we age a little bit, we're going to move to a place that can better meet our needs as we age. And so we are moving from our home to another home that's like a home. It's a community. It's centered around our needs. We pay for things that we want and need, and these are centered on us. We, on the other hand, are coming at it from the other side of the continuum. We come from um, a medical model. Our residents have come from hospitals. They are ill. They can't take care of themselves. And, they have, and, and we have been uh, steeped in this medical model. And now we want to move this to a residential-type model. It's a little, it's quite frankly, a little more difficult. Um, we're not used to thinking in terms of living well as opposed to recovering from disease. And we are finding that uh, the evidence is pointing from other places, because we're in the middle of doing this, that people actually recover faster, better. 
um, when we uh, approach their recovery not as a medical uh, um, a model of medicine, uh, you know, delivery of medicine on schedules, efficiency, but more on what are your needs. Um, uh, an example might be um, someone um, recovers uh, comes from a hospital. Do they need to get up at six in the morning so that breakfast can be served at eight? Probably not if they don't want to. But efficiency would dictate that yes, everyone gets up, everyone moves in, in lockstep through the through our system. But the resident um, might want to say, you know, let's get breakfast this morning. Um, I'll go to the gym at my appointed time to work out and get my my physical therapy, my occupational therapy, my speech therapy. Um, I want to be there for music therapy, which we have, um, or and I want to participate uh, when our horticultural therapist comes through. These are things that interest me, um, but I I'm, 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 do not want to get up at 7 o'clock in the morning, and so let me be. And that is the sort of thing that we can work with. Um, and being able to tailor a therapy to your interests. For instance, there are a lot of people who are oriented towards music or oriented towards um, plants. Maybe they're gardeners. Uh, maybe even they come from an agrarian family. Uh, and the idea of part of their therapy um, being uh, working with plants is actually a good, a good thing. Occupational therapy, fine motor skills, working with plants and, and repotting soil and uh, repotting plants in new soil, uh, all the way to large muscle movement of uh, carrying a wand and uh, using way over your head to spray and to water plants that are in the greenhouse way over their head. It's fun, but it's also rather therapeutic and with specific therapeutic goals assigned to them. We don't get paid for that. Um, that's just something that we do because it's the right thing to do for specific residents. Um, so a question for you there. Um, when we were talking yesterday, one of the things that you mentioned is that um, a significant portion of the population you serve are people who can't necessarily afford their own care. That's correct. How does that work with the trade-off between trying to make their experience more comfortable and, and these efficiencies, efficiencies on which a large part of your in industry has been been built. Um, the eighty percent, no, it's not bad. It's about seventy-five to eighty percent of our residents are actually Medicaid beneficiaries, and these are people who um, do not have the resources to uh, live on their own, um, especially having uh, to need assistance in all the activities of daily living. And uh, the Medicaid program doesn't pay uh, for the expenses of taking care of a Medicaid long-term care resident. just doesn't cover it, much less the um, things that we offer our residents, such as music therapy or music therapy or activities um, offered by, um, in the community. Doesn't, doesn't pay for that. We make up the difference in two ways. One is um, our short-term rehab Medicare um, residents that are there for less than a month. We actually do make a margin on those, and that margin offsets the losses in Medicaid. But probably more important is the um, generosity of the community. 
who understand that uh, taking care of people who can't take care of themselves is noble work, especially those who don't have the resources to do this right. And uh, people actually give uh, funds to us to cover the cost of, of care for others. Um, that's a remarkable thing, and we live in a very generous community. Um, it's, um, it's also very important, um, especially in light of the uncertainties in our uh, Medicaid uh, funding. Yesterday, the House passed a bill that um, could theoretically threaten that. Uh, it's uh, so the the uh, we we live in in times where sometimes our revenue um, down the road may not be as uh, sure as we would like for it to be. It's more difficult to plan, but our mission is to take care of people who can't take care of themselves, and that mission drives whatever whatever we do. Um, that's All just right. the way we roll. Great. So, listeners, we're talking to. AG Rhodes Health and Rehab, um, their CEO, Al Blackwelder, and their COO, Deke Cato. Um, I want to turn the conversation to talking about uh, the people side of your business. And your business, business is very much a people business. Every single CEO that we've had on the show has said without exception that it's their team and the people who work for them that make the their company successful. So what have you learned about having a great team um, from your experience at, at AG Roads? AG Roads, for me, and I started at AG Roads just about eight years ago. Um, and the first thing that really caught my attention was the longevity of the staff. Um, I had never seen nursing facilities where staff had been there for 40 plus years. Um, so I knew something was different there. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and as I got into the management um, side of the business, I, it, it became clear and became evident. Um, from our boards, we still have that family-like approach to taking care of our staff. And that's, I say this not in a, a cliche fashion at all, um, but there's a reason that we have some of our facilities as low as 15% turnover rates in an industry where you have 70 to 80% turnover um, so it is a true investment in staff. More importantly, it's an empowerment on staff. Um, so what we try to do, and we've really been actively doing this over the last few years, we try to break down the bureaucracy of leadership um, and empower staff at, at the lowest levels to make decisions. Um, and it's just a simple philosophy. Us taking care of our staff enables them to take proper care of our elders. And it, it trickles to, down and into every facet of our operation. Let me give an example of that, and it's an historical example, but it sets the pace or the tone for this organization, and that is this cliche, and I'm going to get very specific on you, um, this cliche, if you take care of employees, they will take care of our residents. Yeah, the single biggest corollary of customer satisfaction is employee satisfaction. Right. Exactly. In the 70s, when uh, this was a relatively new experience to have um, nursing homes funded by the federal government. The um, Board of Trustees... For A.G. Rose. For A.G. Rose, the Board of Trustees made a decision. They said, look, taking care of our employees will make it so that they will take care of our residents. 
Okay, let's let's act on that. And so what they did was they did uh, two things. One, they offered health insurance for all their employees. Now, in the nursing home industry in the 1970s, that was unheard of. It mm-hmm. just didn't occur. Um, and so, uh, if, if, quite frankly, at that time, they paid the full premium for health insurance for um, their employees. Absolutely a radical departure from the way nursing homes would be, were run then. And then they did something else. They created a, um, a retirement plan for employees. And it was not an employee contribution retirement plan. It was an employer contribution to a retirement plan. And so not only did they uh, take care of employees with respect to short term, if you get sick, you've got health insurance, but also when it comes time for you to retire, you're going to have some sort of um, regular income. It was an old-fashioned retirement plan. A pension? A pension. <gasps> it was unreal. A pension. <laughs> that is just unheard of in the, in, the, in the 70s. And so it's that kind of attitude and approach to um, employees that the Board of Trustees has kept all along. Now, we have not been able to um, pay the full insurance premium for our employees in a long time. Um, Insurance is, is very expensive. We obviously still have it. We still have retirement plans. A lot of places do that. But now it is how do we engage our employees into the care of specific residents? How do we create a sense of community and a sense of, of a family within our organization so that employees... Um, it's it's what they do. It's how they live their lives. It is taking care of, of our elders um, short-term and long-term in ways that are respectful. And, um, and to do that really well involves getting to know residents and, and, and paying attention to very specific needs that they have and trying to address uh, and facilitate our residents living life well. So how do you do it? Well, deep. <laughs> we embarked on a journey initially at, at our Cobb campus called a person a movement towards person directed care, where Al did a, a very good job earlier of describing the sometimes industrial nature of our business. We have staff that raw residents get up at, at between seven and eight a.m. White walls, white sheets, yes. white white. Yes, Choose they, white have, clothes. they have lunch at 12 and between 12 and 1230. Um, shifts working 7 to 3, 3 to 11, 11 to 7. Um, we have, have played with our staffing models and are actually starting to, to be able to meet residents' needs more specifically. So you want to wake up at, at 9 or 10 a.m. like I do, or so be it. Um, not it, this morning. It, no, not this morning. <laughs> this morning you had to get up a little um, bit earlier, D. I have a great example of that um, that we we saw with a resident who was up late. At, she stays up late at night, every night, at the nurse station. Um, loud music playing, loud television playing at the nurse station, and she's up. And I asked the question, what is she doing up? And the typical response in a traditional nursing home for someone like that would be Ambien, sleeping aid, a pill to help them sleep. Mm-hmm. Well, our nurses dug a bit deeper and they found out that this resident was up late at night because in her previous life, she was a night nurse. She worked night shift. 
Um, so they were able to meet her needs to allow her to stay up at night. Of course, she slept all <laughs> most of the day during the day. But, you know, how great is that? As simple as that might sound, um, it's not how we are currently wired in this industry. I mean, currently we are wired, like you said, um, very, very regimented in, in everything that we do. Um, the other thing that we have noticed, and this is from a very predict, um, predictive model um, type, we have long known that a lot of the residents we take we took care of um, lived with dementia. We right now have about 50% of our residents wow. living with dementia, and we estimate those numbers are even more. Um, and we all know the silver tsunami um, in the aging population and the, the rise in cases with dementia. I think um, the latest figures I saw was 5 million people in the United States alone, and dementia is becoming the highest cost illness. Um, so we are looking through person-directed care at better ways to take care specifically of people with dementia. And that is the model that we have been um, going at for quite some time. Um, it fits our mission, our mission to take care of the most vulnerable of our elder populations. And right now we can't think of no population as vulnerable as those living with dementias. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned having like 15% turnover in an industry that has 70% yep. turnover? At, at one of our locations. So we have three locations. Um, one of them runs about 15%. The other two run in the low 40s. But again, this industry, um, typically you see turnover rates in the, the high 70%. Um, in so a year? In a year, yep. Um, nurses, CNAs, clinical staff, they are in demand now. Um, and we as employers um, have to have a product which compels them to stay with you. Um, we think our product is that mission that we have. Al has a saying that he, he says that our, sta our staff are called to do what they do. They, there's a calling towards them, um, you know, and that's what we, we, we try to avail for. And so if you have anything else that you haven't shared yet about how you get, how you compete, Right. So somebody's choosing between AG Roads and one of the other four offers that they could get, or they have a recruiter or somebody who's calling to poach them, right, and take them away from you. What is it that has them stay? Uh, other than the obvious benefits that we, we spoke about uh, earlier, um, we, we literally care for our employees and we empower our employees. So we do not want staff who come to us to be cogs and, and just um, stick to the task at hand. We want staff to come to us and build caring relationships with our seniors and caring relationships with our other staff. Um, we started to speak of care partnership, which is not just as simple as caring for someone, but it's working hand in hand. It's, it's looking at caring as a relationship that goes both ways. So we want staff who are willing to learn from our elders as well as, as, as care for our elders. Um, we are looking at intergenerational programs because, we, again, we think that, that um, the younger folk have a lot to learn from, from our seniors. You know, there's a reason they're still with us at 80 plus, um, sometimes 90, 100 years. So that's literally the type of staff we look for. And we are very selective. So it's a, it's a two-way street. It's, it's, we are very selective in, um, in the staff that we choose to, to bring into our communities. I think it helps also that we have uh, active relationships with um, schools of, that uh, 
uh, teach people the skills of daily activities um, and CNAs. And with an active relationship like that, then we get to pick and choose um, from the students as they are looking for jobs, then, then we have more, more ability to select. And also, again, looking for people uh, who have that sense of calling. This is what they what, want to do. This is how they choose to live their life of, um, of being with elders and, um, and helping them and learning from them. It's, it is a relationship that we look for, we try and find, um, that people have with elders. And sometimes that comes from uh, people having taken care of a grandmother or someone who um, quit their job because they had to take care of a grandfather who um, had a stroke. And they sort of evolve their understanding that, wow, this is really um, wonderful work. Um, It's hard work, especially when you know somebody. But if you're working with someone for over years, you do get to know them. But it can be extraordinarily rewarding. And we look for people who look for that, who look for the relationship that can be developed between themselves and an elder or a group of elders. Great. Well, uh, as we look to close the show, what are some of the things that are happening at, at AG Roads that you think our CEO listeners would be interested in knowing about? You mentioned, um, I think, perhaps a new facility, some new programs. You know, the staff training is always um, an issue and has been in, um, in my entire career in healthcare. How do you, how do you um, keep training people for new and things? And, and, and that is, um, that's where we are right now is, I don't want to say retooling because it makes someone look like, um, um, like a piece of machinery. But in a lot of ways, it is reorienting how we think about elders. And that is, um, it's changing our culture. And that's hard work. And it's something that is not a program. It's not um, something that's going to be done in six months with a series of lectures and books to read. Um, It is something that is going to take years to inoculate, um, to allow to grow, to foster, to work with, um, to come back to. Um, it's, it's just going to take some time to absolutely change how we approach the care of elders. Uh, but I can't think of anything more important, especially as myself. I'm an aging baby boomer. <laughs> um, I will not go to an institution like I have seen um, in the past. Mm. It's just... <laughs> No, not going to do that. It's important that we provide uh, options for people that are much more respectful of um, our abilities as as seniors. That we have much to contribute, and we can do it. And and I would advise innovation. And you know, it's it's innovation has become sort of a, a C-suite cliche as well. Um, but I, I'm not talking just about technological innovation, but innovation in programming. Our horticulture therapy program, our music therapy program, these are unreimbursed programs, which is why a lot of the the for-profits would not look into programs like this. But they have been the most rewarding 
and and I think they've actually led to uh, us getting admissions, getting residents from from programs such as this aquatic therapy. Um, so thinking out of the box in terms of programming. Now, as we see, as Al said, baby boomers coming into the nursing facilities, the days of the the old um, activities, programs, the the um, bingo, the bingos, which again, don't don't <laughs> try to take bingo out of any nursing home. You will be you will have a fight on your hand. Um, but I, I, I dare to think in a few years. The folks entering nursing facilities would not be the bingo players. I, I don't think I'll be visiting Alan playing bingo with him. In, in, in uh, yeah. He will not. Yeah. <laughs> so well, innovation is my my um advice. Yeah, great. Well, thank you so much, um, Alan Deke. It's been great having you on the show. For listeners, we've been talking to the CEO and COO of AG Roads Health and Rehab, um, and they are a long term care provider here in the Atlanta area. You've been listening to CEO Exclusive Radio. I'm your host, Soini Koch. To get a summary of the key takeaways from today's show, you can find those on LinkedIn on our blog um, at 2.30 on Thursdays. And um, you can find out more about AG Roads at CEOExclusiveRadio.com. I hope you have a prosperous, productive, and very profitable week. Thanks. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at AnonaEnterprises.com.